Trojan fans. It's time for another installment of the Trojan Blast Recruiting Podcast. We give you the inside scoop on everything about USC football recruiting from the experts who know what they're talking about. Which players have an offer, which ones don't, who the coaches like, and who our experts like. And now, here are your co-hosts for the Trojan Blast Recruiting Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher Ryan Abraham and uscfootball.com national recruiting analyst Gerard Martinez. Hey Trojan fans, welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Wednesday. This is the Trojan Blast Recruiting Podcast and it's a new format that we talked about the first couple days of the week. Hopefully you guys enjoyed those shows. On Monday we had Coach Harvey Hyde, on Tuesday... We had Dan Weber, and now on Wednesday we have Gerard Martinez from uscfootball.com talking USC recruiting. So it should be a really exciting show, a lot to get to. If you have any questions for us, our email address is podcast at uscfootball.com, or you can give us a call at 206-888-6755. Leave, a, leave us a voicemail there, or on our website, parastylepodcast.com. You can leave a voicemail, and we will play it on the air and answer your question to the best of our abilities. Without further ado, let's bring in Gerard Martinez. You can follow him on Twitter at GMartLive. What's up, Gerard? How you doing, man? I'm doing good. I am. Uh, we're just getting down the May evaluation process, so we're sort of settling in and seeing, uh, you know, kind of how the target list has expanded with uh, scholarship offers, not just for 2016, but also class of 2017. Seems like the May evaluation period nowadays for college coaches is really about getting ahead of the curve on the next year's class. So, you know, obviously we, we know a lot about the 2016 cycle and a lot of those targets. Not a lot of scholarship offers actually went out to the 2016 class in that May evaluation period, really more 2017 offers. So kind of sort of getting a little hindsight, trying to kind of get a little bit of a grasp on, um, you know, the, the, the coming and going of the 2017 class and where USC was and kind of who they were scouting and really seeing who's going to be coming in for unofficial visits during the summer because that's going to be the big deal for the 2016 class. That's really, it seems like, what USC does now is try to secure uh, some uh, unofficial visits during the summer, really for the out-of-state guys because it's going to determine who they continue to go after and who they might be spinning their wheels on because if you're not going to you know, spend your own dime coming out to Los Angeles during the summer as an out-of-state recruiter, then there's question marks as to you know the, the, how serious you're going to be in terms of considering USC down the stretch. Yeah, just to give people kind of an update on what's going on with uh, USC recruiting and the whole recruiting cycle right now, coming out of the May evaluation period like you talked about, um, mm-hmm. a lot of seven-on-seven tournaments we went to, and there's been a transition. There was more of the traveling team seven-on-seven. Now we're more into the high school team seven-on-seven in the last couple of weeks, and we'll talk about the, the one we saw in Saugus last weekend, some of the players we saw there. But then, you know, later on in June, you're starting to see the college camps uh, come into play, and USC will have a, a bunch of camps, kicking camps, skill camp, lineman camp, of course, the Rising Stars camp. So more kind of uh, collegiate camp stuff going on, and, you know, obviously lead, that'll lead up to, you know, through the summer and fall camp and, and all that, and then, you know, the different aspects of the recruiting process. But maybe kind of give people an update of kind of where we are now as far as where it is in the process for everybody. 
We're just beginning because USC is going to have their first camp actually uh, coming up here in a couple of weeks. They'll have their lineman camp and then they'll have their skills camp June 20th. Um, you know, obviously UCLA will have camps. All the other Pac-12 colleges will have camps. Nowadays, you have what you call satellite camps, and a lot of these schools which are in locations and areas which are not really talent-rich, they will hold camps, or I should say they, they technically don't host the camp. Their coaches go to the camp as, quote-unquote, air quotes, advisors, and basically are there so they can evaluate kids and they can talk to kids and they can be around and it puts them in an area where, you know, these kids can get to. Because if you're in Corvallis and you're a coach at Oregon State, you can invite kids to your camp at Oregon State, but the problem is there's just not a lot of guys that are going to fly up there for that, uh, for that unofficial visit slash camp experience. So what they're able to do now is hold a camp here in Southern California and they can see more kids and they get more exposure to more kids. It's a controversial thing. Jim Harbaugh started basically a satellite camp tour where he was, I think they have like nine different camps that they're having throughout the Southeast where the Michigan coaches are going down and they're being these camp advisors, so they're being able to really just recruit in the Southeast in person, whereas, you know, back, you know, maybe a couple years ago, and this really this satellite camp thing is, is pretty new, so we're talking maybe three, four years ago it didn't really exist. And back then, all those kids would have to go to Michigan. They'd have to fly to Michigan. You know, if you're in Georgia or you're in Florida, you're going to have to, on your own dime, fly out to Michigan to be able to see those coaches and talk to those coaches and be coached by them. And now, you know, the Michigan coaches are coming down to the southeast, which Nick Saban does not like, and he's already <laughs> made several comments publicly about the satellite camps and how they should be done away with. Or there should be one main satellite camp for everybody to go to, which are colleague Greg Biggin said, didn't they have that, you know, like maybe six, seven years ago when they let college coaches go to the Nike camps? <laughs> so wasn't that the same thing when the, the camps, the, co the coaches could all go to those camps and they couldn't recruit at those camps. They couldn't talk to the kids at those camps, but they could go to those camps and see a lot of really good players in one place. So, you know, they did away with that, but now you have the college coaches sort of implying that they want to be able to be there in person to see the kids again at a central location. So we'll see how it all shakes out but you know you have that and then obviously it tops all off with the opening finals of Beaverton Oregon which is not a team school camp it's just one of the bigger events uh, probably the biggest event in the offseason that we cover and kind of sort of the cherry on top of the cake of you know all the camps and all the events that we have to cover uh, throughout the summer June is just stacked I mean there's literally events every weekend they're they're more than just every weekend they're even during the week right yeah, stars yeah. is during the week, uh, you got the old Poly camp up there in Utah, which is during the week. Um, you got, you know, I think UCLA, one of their camps is during the week. So you've got the weekend and even during the week where everybody's trying to fit as much as they can into the month of June. So it's going to be a long, grinding uh, month. And, and for USC, who doesn't really do a lot satellite camp wise. Um, they do uh, sometimes go to the old poly camp and they do participate in some camps, but really I think their strategy, because I know a question is going to come from this after this podcast, their strategy has been, we want kids to come to USC because we want to get them on campus and they want, we want them to see our campus. And it's great to go out and we can have a satellite camp in Florida. We can have a satellite camp in Texas. 
But truth be told, we'd really like these kids to come. We think it benefits us most to get these kids on campus to see Los Angeles and see what we have to offer from a facility standpoint. You don't get that at a satellite camp. You know, you're just getting it at a junior college or a high school or whatever, where all the coaches basically come to that camp. So that's kind of the, the counter argument to what Jim Harbaugh is doing. You know, he's getting to see a bunch of kids down south, but none of those kids are actually going to see Michigan unless right. they take an official visit. They just get to hang out with the coaches and stuff. So yeah, yeah. Which, you know, I mean, there's the, I, you can see the strategy there, and it, and it works. You know, the coaches can talk kids up and get them interested, and yeah. you know, all of a sudden the kids are exposed to a different kind of coach, and he's a good recruiter, and all of a sudden maybe you get an official visit out of that. Yeah. Um, so I mean, there's an argument to go both ways with that Mike, strategy. On the Pac-12, Mike Riley's done that uh, the last few years, uh, coming to LA and doing camps down here. So I don't know if I think Oregon State's still going to do it now that Riley's gone, but. Uh, we're seeing more and more, like a place like USC, you don't necessarily need to do that. I know the coaches will go out and, and, and kind of do some different events, but um, it's, it's, it's a different aspect. Usually, people, you know, there's so many kids in Southern California already, it's not hard for them to come visit USC for the most part. Exactly, and, and like I said, it's really beneficial to the schools that are in the areas where you just don't have a deep talent pool. So you know you're not going to get a bunch of great unofficial visitors there on campus, whether it be for camp or just a regular visit. So that's really what's the motivation for the schools that are in those areas where there's not a lot of talent. So uh, I want to talk about the, the last event we went to, the Saugus Under the Lights Tournament. And, uh, you know, we got film, we, we put up film on Tuesday of Tyler Vaughn's, uh, the five-star wide receiver from Bishop Amat, his teammate, uh, who I like uh, a whole lot. Uh, but we want to talk about the, the, the receiver recruiting. Those are most of the kind of players we were um, focusing on at that camp, at that uh, seven-on-seven event. It was a high school event. Bishop Amat ended up winning it. And watching that team, um, it, was, it was pretty ridiculous, just the two stud-wide receivers you could throw the football to. Didn't, they didn't really have a great quarterback out there. They threw the ball pretty well. But when you're throwing to two really good receivers like that, um, what, what were your thoughts on how they looked and, and USC recruiting those two guys? They looked really good. I mean, you kind of impl- talked about uh, Tron Sidney without actually talking about naming his name. He was Peter Warwick-like out there. If you guys remember the wide receiver from Florida State who was really dynamic in space. And seven on, you know, it's, it's hard to make guys miss because it's just really one-hand touch. And so when you see a guy, you know, be able to juke three or four different players on a 40-yard field um, and, and just make these crazy moves, and we've seen Jermon Sidney do that all spring. I mean, you guys saw the under-the-radar video where he basically did like a front flip over baby carriage that was in the end zone because he was running through the end zone after scoring a touchdown. I mean, that was just crazy. That was like a sixth sense that he had to even – see that and let alone make that move that quickly and that to be the move that you make a front flip i mean that was that was out of control um and it's all coming from the nike opening which we had in los angeles where you know the testing wasn't really that great for him i mean he didn't run a great 40 uh he didn't have any like crazy stellar numbers that you would think for him athletically but i've talked about him athletically in the past just on the peristyle sort of being you know more of a kind of a soccer player type athlete i mean he's a little more of a finesse skill guy than he is like this powerful 
sort of runner um, that that you know you would you would look at as a football player um, in terms of his athleticism. It's sort of hard to describe, but it's more about his awareness and his quickness in space and his ability just to sort of kind of feel things out. And he was making some great plays. Tyler Vaughn, his his teammate there at Bishop Amon, was totally dominant. I mean, there was really nobody out there that could cover him. You know, there was nobody in the tournament that you look at and go, oh, this is going to be a great matchup. And, and really, he hasn't had the greatest spring. He, he has had a couple of better uh, showings here kind of later in the spring. And we saw him at uh, among the passing tournaments there. Um, I think it was passing down, um, or maybe it was IMG. Actually, I think it maybe was IMG that he really kind of had his best performance of the spring. And he followed up, you know, with this performance. Uh, after both those guys, Tyler and Trevon Sidney, came from baseball practice, they kind of showed up late because they're at baseball practice. So, uh, I mean, that's, you know, what kind of energy you have when you're 17 years old. And so they got on the field. And it, was, it was night and day watching Bishop Amar when those guys got on the field. Oh, crazy. And Tyler Vons was just wide open, just catching wide open touchdown passes, and Trevon Sidney was just making, you know, crazy sick plays, you know, with, uh, you know, juking guys and, and making guys look bad in space. Um, but uh, it, it was a pretty good tournament. You know, we saw Michael Pittman, um, saw a few other, you know, 2017 players, uh, but certainly those two guys high on USC's list. Tyler Vons, as uh, we reported uh, earlier this week, he's going to make a commitment here over the summer, uh, probably right before the season is, is sort of what he has penciled in. It's going to be interesting to see how USC plays that. They have two wide receivers committed right now in the class. We assume that they're going to take two more. And so, you know, that would be three receivers committed in the class if they take Tyler Vaughn's only leaving one spot. And obviously you got a few different names that you could uh, mention and put into that final spot. Yeah, it's uh, the recruiting recruiting for receivers is very interesting with a cup, you know, and since we've done the last uh, recruiting podcast, uh, USC picked up another uh, commitment from an out-of-state wide receiver. I don't even want to try to pronounce his last name. Uh, Josh. Josh Emmettorbebe. It's yeah. actually not. It's not as crazy as it looks. It's just Josh Emmettorbebe. Um, but uh, yeah, he's a six-two, two hundred five pound receiver, and uh, a guy from uh, North Gwinnett High School. Um, uh, really good student. Um, an interesting sort of side story that's going right now is that his brother Daniel Amator Bebe actually committed to Florida last year uh, as a tight end. He's about 6'3-ish, about 210 and he's transferring out of Florida now. A lot of people assumed well of course he's going to go to USC. His brother's committed to USC. They're originally from Orange County before his family moved out to Georgia. The family wants to move back to the West Coast so everybody just assumed, okay, he's, he's going to you know, go to USC. I think that he would like to go to USC. I think that there's some thought that, you know, from his part or his perspective, yeah, USC's probably a really good fit with him. I mean, obviously USC needs tight ends. Um, they, uh, they, they, they really don't know what's going to happen with uh, Kofi Patrick uh, or Bryce Dixon. You know, this offseason's kind of not really answered questions with either of those guys, whether they're going to be on the team in the fall. Um, so, it's one of those things that you know, there's an obvious need for that position, but USC did not offer Daniel Amator Baby last year. He was not a guy that they recruited really all that hard. They looked at him, they talked to him. Um, he was technically a target, but he was not a guy they offered a scholarship to. So 
he'd have to come in in blue shirt. And they're already bringing in the blue shirt in Tyler McNamara, uh, the tight end transfer from Oklahoma. And, you know, those blue shirts don't grow on trees. They're not free scholarships. I mean, they do count against the 2017 class. And, you know, that it's, it's going to be one, or excuse me, the 2016 class, uh, because he'd be a 2015 receiver coming in. Um, and you're already down 22. So that would make 21 rides that you have in the 2016 class. So it, it's, it's a little bit of, you know, there's value in bringing the guy in now. And, and having him on the roster when you really have no depth at tight end. But is he good enough? I mean, is he a guy that is a good enough player? Or, you know, you sort of have to balance it and you have to weigh it with the immediate playing factor and then, you know, whether you could get somebody in the 2016 class that may be a better player overall. Yeah, so it'll be interesting to watch. And uh, But a couple out-of-state receivers uh, already committed with probably two spots left and a lot of talented receivers in Southern California. So definitely stay tuned, uh, and we'll kind of keep you up to date on what's going on with USC receiver recruiting. Uh, I want to talk about tight We mentioned tight ends. We had a question about tight ends, Gerard. So Stephen Poway wrote in. He said, when I look at the roster for the 2015 Trojans team, my two concerns are tight end and defensive linemen. I'd like to focus on tight ends this week. Is Caleb Wilson... Uh, Coach Wilson's son from Sarah High School still planning to walk on as a tight end, and if so, do you think this is why the coaches have not been more aggressive in holding up the tight end recruits? Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, not holding up, loading up the tight end recruits, only bringing in Tyler Petit this year, despite having no depth of that position. I understand Tyler Mac- McNamara is transferring from Oklahoma. Are you aware of any other tight ends who are planning to either walk on or transfer to USC with a scholarship? Thanks. Ryan, love the podcast. Stephen Poway. Well, we chatted a little bit about Emmator Baby, and, and important to note about him is that he would have to sit out a year. Uh, there are no hardship waivers anymore, so he would have to sit out. So when I say immediate, I mean immediate in terms of he'd be able to come in and be at least a scout team player, which when you only have, you know, like one, maybe two scholarship tight ends on the roster, you're literally looking for D1 caliber talent on your scout team just to give your first team defense a look. Um, so that's really where you are in terms of evaluating his value and whether you want to um, use a blue shirt advanced scholarship on him. Uh, for other players, uh, speaking of, of this class and, and even the last class, uh, getting Caleb Wilson, yes, he's going to come in as a walk-on still. Do I think that it impacted USC's recruiting then, and does it, re- did it really impact rec- USC's recruiting now? No, I don't. I think Caleb Wilson is a guy that's you know going to be a little bit of a project. He didn't play a ton of tight end in high school. He certainly physically got the frame to be a guy that's going to be 240, 250. He's about 228, I think, right now. Um, and so he's gained some weight. He's going to continue to gain weight. I have no no qualms about saying he's going to be a tight end body, um, you know, within a couple of years. Uh, will he be able to play in a couple of years and be a guy that can contribute a lot to USC? Is really going to be just more about I think blocking and doing sort of the 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 blue collar work that you have to do as a tight end in a pro style offense uh, that he did not get used to playing receiver or quarterback, which is what he did at Sarah. He's really been a quarterback throughout his career so it takes a little time you know putting your hand in the dirt and getting used to you know getting into those brawls with defensive ends and run blocking and so I think that's going to be really the thing that's you know he's going to take a little time for him to be able to adapt to um, but physically I think he's going to be there in a couple years um, going forward with USC just in the 2016 class we saw Concord de la Salle uh, deep uh, 
I should say, tight end slash uh, defensive lineman, uh, Devin Asiasi. And I say slash defensive lineman because he's 6'5", 270 pounds. Um, now, that's a little big for him, and he said, yeah, I've been hitting the weight room hard, and I'm kind of, you know, not really where I want to be, I think, for the season. I want to be 255. But you're talking about a guy that's still got another year of football ahead of him and another offseason before he gets on campus, and he's 270 pounds. That kind of sort of signals, man, this, this is going to be a big boy. <laughs> 255 is nice, but even if you're getting down to 255, you've got college ahead of you. He's going to put on weight. So the, a lot of the talk is he could be a guy that ends up playing defensive end, and certainly in the 34 system that USC runs with the four eye techniques and the five techniques, he's a guy that could be a pretty darn good defensive lineman. So uh, there are several colleges, including UCLA, that are really recruiting him for defensive end first. UCLA said that he could play both sides of the ball, but really I think they want him as a defensive lineman. And I can see that. I, I mean, watching him at the opening up in Oakland, you can definitely see where he's a big, heavy-handed kid. Um, he catches the ball pretty well. He didn't have his best day in Oakland, but he does. We've seen him before, and he's pretty skilled. He actually played some quarterback, actually, last year for Concord De La Salle in the championship game. Um, so he's a guy that's got some good skill, but it's one of those things that uh, you just think that the, the, the physical peak uh, that he has is probably going to put him in that 280-pound range plus. And so you don't see a ton of tight ends that big. Um, that are playing in a type of system, or any type of system, quite frankly. Maybe, you know, Stanford system when you're going for three tight ends, but not too many guys uh, that are legit, you know, pro-style tight ends that you can put on the line and kind of flex out wide as a Y. So uh, he's a guy that's sort of there with an asterisk. Um, you know, USC is, is offered uh, Nasir Upshur, who's a guy that likes USC a lot, has USC in his top list of schools. He's going to officially visit uh, Arizona State in September when they play USC which I think is September 18th. But the biggest issue with him is that he was trying to get out for an unofficial visit to USC, but he was going to stay with Jared Bowman. Now, we know Jared Bowman's had some legal issues here in the past few months. Um, he's right now in Baltimore with the Ravens for OTAs trying to make the team. So we'll kind of see how that works out. I mean, that was sort of his in with USC. He has a bunch of ins with ASU. He was really tight with Jalen Strong. He's got a couple former teammates that are on the ASU team right now. He's been to ASU twice already unofficially. So USC might be playing from behind a little bit with Nasir Upshur. Um, another guy to keep kind of an eye on here is, is a kid that's really blown up here just in the past couple months during the May evaluation period, a kid named Chase Claypool. He's from Abbott's. Uh, Ford Academy, which is actually in British Columbia. He's 6'5", 211, and a guy that's rated right now as a receiver by scout, but probably ends up projecting more as a tight end. USC's been talking to him. They've been recruiting him. Uh, some, closes, uh, some sources kind of close to him uh, are implying that USC's probably going to offer. Uh, we'll see how that shakes out, but it's a guy that uh, a lot of people are excited about. I mean, a ton of schools have come in and offered, Oregon, Nebraska, a bunch of schools, and you don't see Canada kids get recruited like that very often. So uh, there's a few guys there, and, and, and maybe you know some other things that happen uh, down the line where uh, there could be other other guys that want to transfer into USC, um, you know, you just kind of don't know. But it's definitely a situation where they, they need some bodies, and I think that's where a lot of people assume um, Amateur Baby will end up coming in and uh, being a transfer from Florida. It's just one of those things from USC side of things. Uh, from what we're hearing, that is not a done deal yet. All right. Uh, we talk about tight ends, receivers. How about stay on offense with uh... – Fullback. So we actually had a question, and Coach Harvey Hyde answered it, or, we, or I answered it with him 
on Monday's edition of the podcast, but specifically about recruiting a fullback. And so the question was, Steve Sarkeesian was asked about recruiting fullbacks. Of course, he can't talk about what they're recruiting, but um, Gerard, USC has two fullbacks on the roster. Both are seniors, Soma Vanuku and Jaleel Pinner. Is USC going after another fullback? Is that going to be part of the offense going forward? You know, it's a great question because the fullback as a position is sort of getting basically erased from a lot of offenses. Um, you still have some halfbacks and some things that some some teams that, you know, even Baylor uh, will use sort of an H-back of sorts in certain uh, situations. But a lot of teams are not using the fullback anymore, and my thought was maybe USC wouldn't either. But uh, over the past month or so, we've seen from a recruiting standpoint then go after a couple guys that are more fullbacks, or at least projected fullbacks. Uh, USC offered um, uh, Milani uh, running back, uh, Vabe Matei, I think is how you pronounce his last name, uh, a guy that uh, was at the opening in Oakland, was a, a kind of a standout player, and um, you know about 5'11", about 210 pounds, a guy that you would think would probably project and grow into being a fullback prospect. And then Jalen Starks from Crestview is about six foot, 240 pounds, is a guy that just committed to UCLA last week, and he was another guy that USC was recruiting too. So the results of their recruiting have not, you know, obviously come to fruition in, in getting a fullback, and there hasn't been a ton of offers out there to kids that you would project as a fullback, but it definitely sort of seems like the way they're recruiting is that they don't want to completely eliminate that position and they are looking for at least one player that can possibly play that position. So um, it is, you know, a pro-style offense that in just in terms of tempo, it seems like Steve Sarkeesian wants to take a, you know, a page out of the college uh, playbook of so many teams and not necessarily go to like four receivers and, and everybody, you know, and this is a good to kind of segue from the talk of tight ends and not having a ton of tight ends, people are thinking, hey, you know, shoot, just go to the air raid offense. There's a bunch of good offenses that uh, don't have tight ends that put up plenty of points. That's true. But this goes back, and we had these conversations in the podcast when we talked about the coaching search and, and what USC really wanted out of the coaching search and what type of uh, coach they wanted in terms of strategy, in terms of their offensive or defensive playbook. And my stance on this, and, and continues to be so, is that you got to run the football. you got to have a physical presence on offense or your defense suffers because you're playing a game every Saturday or Thursday or whatever. You're playing once a week. You're practicing much more than once a week. And if your offense is all finesse and soft, your defense is going to be that way too. If you don't see the run game in, in during the week when you're practicing because you don't have fullbacks, you don't have tight ends on the roster, you're not going to know how to defend it when it comes to Saturday. And we see that. We see that with Kevin Sumlin in, in Texas A&M. He was a guy that you know everybody talked about. A lot of people really, really high on him coming to USC as a coach. The one big red flag for me was the guy's never really coached a team that's had great defenses. And their defense is at Texas A&M. The program has just proven the fact that they they really can't stop anybody. They can score a million points, but they can't stop anybody. And maybe, you know, once every couple of years, you're going to have that prolific offense that can just outscore people. And you've got Johnny Menzel. But when Johnny Menzel graduates, 
and all of a sudden your offense has got some youth and you can't score 60 points a game, your defense has got to step up. And their defense just, they can't play physically. They are terrible. They were terrible last year. Look at Baylor, same thing. That's a terrible defense. And it's because their offense is just throwing the ball, throwing the ball, throwing the ball. And, and, and really with Baylor, I shouldn't say that because Baylor actually runs the ball a lot. But Baylor still spreads you out a lot. And they don't use the fullback and they don't use the tight end. Uh, but they do run the ball quite a bit. Um, Auburn more so, more with running, more with the tight end. They don't have a lot of fullback, but they are more of a physical type of kind of run option team, um, at probably a, a big step up, I would say, from Baylor in that respect. Um, and then you take another step with a team that is really run option, but it's not spready, and that's Ohio State. And I think that's sort of closer to what maybe USC does. USC, I think offensively, if you want a comparison of what, what they're looking to do, it's, it's Philadelphia. It's Chip Kelly in the NFL is exactly what Steve Sarkeesian wants to do. Um, you know, Chip Kelly in Oregon was a little different. But Chip Kelly in the NFL is a little more pro-passing concepts with a pro-style quarterback. So he hasn't gone all in, even though, you know, you got Tim Tebow there now. He certainly hasn't gone all in on having running athletic quarterbacks, but there's still a physical presence there, and there's still tight ends, and they're still using uh, sort of more of a pro formation, pro personnel, and Ohio State does that. Ohio State is really a very physical offense, even though they're running that read option. So it's sort of step down, step down when you can start to look at it, and Texas A&M being sort of that extreme that doesn't run the ball a lot. So I think with USC – you know, going back to the point of whether they're recruiting a fullback, whether they need tight ends, I think yes, because I think they still want to keep that pro, that pro personnel and really in terms of the concepts that they're running, uh, I think, you know, maybe a little more college in terms of how they run the ball out of the shotgun. Obviously, the tempo is more of a college type thing, but when they're passing the ball, they want to pass it like a pro team. All right. Uh, we got a couple more we wanted to get to. Let's see. Let's go Kevin in South Orange County. He says, I have a comment question for Gerard. Maybe I'm alone in this, but for some reason, I'm not nearly as interested in the 2016 class as I was for 2014 and 2015. I feel like those classes had a ton of California West Coast talent at huge areas of need for our program, and if we landed our top wish list, we'd be in great shape. Now that we're into the 2016 cycle, I feel like nothing matters as much as the performance on the field. If we only win nine games this year, it's going to be tough for Sark to land another stellar class. If we go to the Pac-12 championship or the playoff, things will take care of themselves. Did Gerard have the same feeling about 2014 and 15, or am I alone with this sentiment? All, all the best, Kevin in South Orange County. No, I think that's, I, I think everybody sort of has that vibe right now. Um, one, I think there's not a ton of marquee talent locally in California in the 2016 class. There are no Biggie Marshalls in the 2016 class. Um, there's not that guy that you sort of go, wow, man, that's that sort of maybe that generational player like a Dory Jackson. Um, you really don't have those marquee heavy hitter names that you had in 2015. In 2015, and we talked about it, leading up to 2015 was a stack class all around. I mean, we can look at the linebacker situation. Look at the guys that USC was involved in recruiting at linebacker in 2015. Not just the guys they got, but just in general, the guys that they recruited. And then you look at the 2016 class. 
it's a, it is a big difference. I mean, you look at a guy like, you know, Porter Gustin or Osa Messina, you're talking about six four, two hundred forty pound guys that move like they're six foot two hundred pound guys. In this class, you've got more like six foot two hundred pound guys that move like six foot two hundred pound guys. You know, Chris Barnes, the UCLA commit from Bakersfield Liberty High School, is probably the best linebacker I've seen this class. Um, in terms of his film and then matching that with the event performances he's had during the spring, he's about 6'1", 215 pounds. You know, he, he's, a, he's a good athlete. He's really good in space. Um, you know, he hits well on, on film, tackles well, gets silent on the sideline, does a lot of things well. But he's not that freakish, oh, my God, so that guy can run like that at that size type dude. We thought maybe Caleb Kelly, a guy that's your favorite guy from Fresno area, Clovis West High School, might end up being one of those guys. I'm going to break your heart, Ryan, and kind of step all over your evaluation of him early <laughs> on. He was really not good at Oakland. He really? really struggled to be in space and to play well. Looked heavy-legged, looked a little stiff in the hips. Really, to me, looked more like a rush-in, kind of an undersized rush-in type uh, prospect than a true field-side linebacker. Mike um, Warriors is probably the best athlete, the best kind of overall, if you start you know, to put a lot of weight into just potential and not necessarily totally production, because we've seen more of Mike Warriors is than anybody out there, anybody. And we've seen him play quarterback, we've seen him play running back, we've yeah. seen him play receiver, we've seen him do everything but basically play linebacker in high school. So we're kind of projecting he can do all these different things and maybe he's not necessarily going to be um, you, you know, a, a true kind of linebacker. He's a little more of the hybrid type guy, like the Sue Cravens. I mean, Sue Cravens is a very good uh, sort of comparison with him, although I would argue Sue had just a much more impact at the high school level. I mean, he was a guy that uh, he, he, he made a huge impact for his team. He carried those guys. He was probably the best receiver in that class that he came out. I mean, the guy's hands were phenomenal. Mike is a little more physical, uh, but not quite that guy that's, you know, uh, you know scoring 20 touchdowns, uh, catching the football. Um, so I think it's just – the marquee names at those positions that you like to kind of sort of look at, you know, running back, you get Ronald Jones, uh, you got a guy like Dominic Davis, who kind of exploded onto the scene a little bit, you know, from the track end of things, and all of a sudden became a guy that people got excited about, and they should be. He just ran a 10-3-8 or something uh, in the in the state uh, semifinals. I mean, there was a lot of guys there in that 2015 class that you could look at, and you could say, man, this guy could be a game changer a little bit. This class... Not so much. And obviously you're coming off a number one rate class, so you're kind of looking at this class and going, okay, it's hard to follow that up. And I think people's expectations of the class are probably better off. They're probably a little less, man, we've got to have a great class uh, coming out of sanctions. And you're just, you know, the 2015 is really where they needed to strike gold, this coaching staff, and they did it. And so this class obviously not quite as big. 2017, you'll have more of those big-name marquee-type guys and I think it will be something that, you know, people start to follow a little closer. Um, but, you know, they're all important. You know, you, every class is important. And, and maybe 2016 doesn't have the marquee names, but you know what? You can't have a wall with old bricks and no mortar. You've got to have some filler. You've got to have some role players. You've got to have some guys that, that help support and make those star players even better. So um, it's going to be an important class nonetheless. It's just not one of those classes that has those marquee names and those maybe generational-type players that we project and we've been talking about for years, like Imam Marshall, who, I mean, he was a five-star guy, I think, freaking from his freshman year on. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
Well, we got one last question. It was actually a Twitter question uh, at uh, uh, Rishan RP, R-E-C-H-A-N-R-P. He said, would you say Tajon Lindsay and Tate Martell are heavy SC leans at this point? Yes, yes, which our guy in Poway who asked the first question should be happy to hear because those guys are originally from Poway, California. They moved out uh, to go to Bishop Gorman High School. But uh, both of them heavy leans towards USC package deal um i think that uh, you know we talked a little bit about that in the war room actually a little war room teaser kind of there's another guy at bishop gorman who's in the 2017 class who might be sort of a triple package deal with those three guys so um yeah i think uh, usc is definitely in a good position with them got a lot of questions about you know who fits USC's offense better? Is it Tate Martell or Shea Patterson or Matt Fink or, you know, and, and really we don't know what that offense looks like with a true running threat at quarterback. I and mean, we've been talking about that a long time and talking about a guy like Jalen Green and if he was to play quarterback, what would it look like if USC could get 10 yards to carry at the quarterback position and, and the quarterback can carry the ball in third and six and that rush defensive end doesn't just crash down the line and attack Buck Allen's knees. Um, we haven't seen that. And I don't know if we're going to see it anytime soon because obviously you've got Max Brown there. Um, but Tate Martell would be – well, Max, Max Fink to an extent too because Max Fink can run. Uh, but Tate Martell, we saw him at the Trendsetters camp and uh, got a bunch of, of, of tape of both Matt Fink and Tate Martell as well as Sean Robinson, a guy that is the number, rank, number one ranked quarterback in the 2017 class uh, from Texas who came out for that event. Every snap for those guys in that video, so you guys should definitely check it out. It's all free video. Um, we watched Tate Martell and Tyson Lindsay was actually there as well. And, you know, Tate, when it came to the, the, the running drills, the agility drills, he was so much better than everybody. I mean, there was nobody that was really in his league when it came to uh, just the, the quickness and the footwork and the balance. Um, you know, he's a guy that makes magic happen outside the pocket. He's very Johnny Menzel-like in that respect. And we've never seen a quarterback like that at USC, quite frankly. I mean, we've never seen a guy like that. And so, for better or for worse, it's just going to be one of those things where you have to wait and see. If he commits to USC and, you know, he's able to make a push, um, obviously you're going to have Sam Darnold there, and there's going to be some other guys that are probably ahead of him. But, um, you know, Tate Martell said uh, that weekend at the Trendsetters, he said, you know what, I was third um, ranked quarterback or I was a third string quarterback coming in when I was at Poway and I ended up starting my freshman year. I was a third string quarterback coming into Bishop Gorman. I ended up starting my sophomore year. He goes, you know, I've been behind the eight ball when it comes to the depth chart before. I'm not worried about that. And uh, he's not worried about Matt Fink either. He he feels like he can come in and uh, compete with Matt Fink and everybody else that's uh, on the roster for USC at quarterback. All right. Well, Gerard, great stuff. Our new format of the Peristyle podcast. Glad you could come on on our first week doing these uh, shorter shows, even though we, we kind of stretch this out a little bit longer, 40 minutes or so. But uh, that's, that's kind of the goal. So we'll, we'll do more like shorter podcasts during the week with different segments and different guests. And uh, hope you enjoyed being on our, our first one this week. I enjoyed it immensely. I hope everybody else out there enjoyed me rambling on. No, you're not rambling on. That's great recruiting stuff. And then we made this one free. So that a lot of people complain, oh, I don't, I don't subscribe. Well, you should, of course, you should subscribe to uscfootball.com, get all the information on the Peristyle. But we thought we'd give you a, a freebie here for the recruiting podcast. Hope you enjoyed Gerard. You can follow him at GMart Live on Twitter. You can follow me at Inside Troy. For Gerard Martinez, this is Ryan Amard signing out. Make sure you can check out Peristyle Podcast and uscfootball.com for more.
You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 